Well, good morning. Uh, Following the service, we have a great time together in fellowship and eating together, and so you're all invited to stay. You say, well, I didn't bring anything. Well, it's not really a potluck as much as it is just a time of fellowship. We have food for everyone, and so we want you all to stay, meet some new friends, things I think you'll really enjoy. Currently, we're going through the book of Exodus, line upon line, precept upon precept, the way that Isaiah says we are to study God's weird. We are not instructed by God to go hopscotching through the Bible to prove a point. The Bible says that we go line upon line, precept upon precept. What does that mean? That means you don't get anything out of context. You get the entirety of God's word. Not just my favorite topics, not just my favorite subjects. You get the entire balanced Word of God, and you're going to be a healthy person. You know, if you only ate what you liked, like ice cream and gut and candy, hey, you know what? We'd start looking like ice cream and gut and candy, wouldn't we? Because we need a balanced meal. We need a balanced meal concerning our physical, but even more so in our spiritual This is why the cults flourish across the world today is because the lack of teaching of the entirety of God's word. Jesus even said it best when he said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, again, this is when he was tempted by the devil. Do you think you're ever tempted by the devil? I think we are. But I think if we only know just parts of the Bible, we're not going to be balanced. And I have found something else. When you know the entirety of God's word, it balances what we believe. And so not just taking what I like, but taking all of it. I have found in doing so, I have had to change my life. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, Sometimes I don't think sin is all that bad. Maybe I don't think certain things are all that wrong. When I read the entirety of God's word, it brings me back to the balance that we need. Again, all the way through the Bible, spiritual ignorance is rampant. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh. Let my people go. And you know what Pharaoh said? Who is this God that I should let your people go? Who is this God? Okay, then. You're going to get to find out. And so we have been looking at a series of judgments coming upon the land of Egypt because Pharaoh is hardening his heart. The more miracles that God did at the hand of Moses, the harder Pharaoh's heart God. Now, it's interesting to me, the more miracles that Jesus did, the harder the Pharisees' hearts got. Now, is God the one that is causing the hardness of heart? Well, in a way, in that he is providing the miracle in which Pharaoh reacts to it adversely. We're going to find that this morning as we uh, do our study here in chapter 9 of Exodus. So as we look at this, who is God? I don't know who he is that I should let your people go. God says, 
I'm going to show you. You know, the Bible says it's an it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Let's pray. Fathers, we go to your word today. We ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Give us that insight that comes from you. And Lord, may you use these words to reside in our heart that we would not sin against you, that we would realize that you are a God of miracles and that you can do great and awesome things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first seven verses here will be a little bit of a review for us, but it's important that we understand this because there have been people that try to cite the Bible as full of contradictions. I've always heard that. Well, you can't trust the Bible. There's too many contradictions. Oh, really? What do you mean by that? Well, by not reading the Bible carefully, you could come to that conclusion. In that, when we read today that God brought a judgment as we studied a little bit last week, upon the cattle of Egypt. And all the cattle that belonged to the Egyptians died. Well, then in a few more verses, we're going to find where God brings another judgment and it fell on the livestock of the land of Egypt. Ah, a contradiction. They all died in the first part of chapter 9 and now these judgments are coming upon the rest. Well, if you read carefully, it says, and none of the plagues came upon the children of Israel's livestock. I think that's interesting. So when... Pharaoh sent to find out if these things were so. Did any of Israel's livestock die? They found they did not. So evidently, he probably seized them, took them away from the children of Israel to keep their machine running, took them away, and thus we find the plagues falling. As we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, chapter 9, verse 1, Go into Pharaoh... And tell him, thus saith the Lord God of heavens, let my people go that they may serve me. This is the same message that he started with back at the very first. By the way, I think it's interesting here. There's always an excuse to not do what God wants you to do. Have you ever noticed that? I have found that I can be quite creative in coming up with excuses. Just like your children. Why did you do that? Because my brother made me do that. Or in Flip Wilson theology, for some of you that are older, who remember who he was, the devil made me do it. Now, I always think it's interesting that we can come up with an excuse not to do what God wants us to do. In other words, there's a special exclusion for me because I'm special. Really? Well, think about it for a minute. What happened right on his way to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. It is one of the most brutal marital fights in the Bible. One of the bloodiest marital fights in the Bible. Moses and Zephora get into it over circumcision. Here he was going to go tell the king of the world at that time, Pharaoh, let my people go, but he would not stand up to his pagan wife, Zephora, over circumcision because evidently he was scared it would end up in a marital fight. He was right. It did. 
And as a matter of fact, the Bible says God sought to kill him on his way to Pharaoh. Why would God commission him to go to Pharaoh and yet kill him in the way? Because he wouldn't do what God initially told him to do, circumcise his sons. In other words, you're going to stand before the king of the world and you're too chicken and scared to stand up to your spouse over things concerning God. Wow, that was pretty weird. And so we find this giant marital fight. Zephorah circumcises her sons. The Bible says she throws the foreskins at him. Splat, splat. And screams, you're a bloody husband to me. He goes, okay, now I'll go talk to Pharaoh. Oh, really? You might think about that one for just a second. Because again, wouldn't that be a good excuse not to do what God wants you to do? I mean, Moses, God, I I just had this big fight at home. I I can't do anything right now. I, I think the best thing I can do is just, you know, find a palm tree someplace, get one of those cups with a little umbrella on it, and just sit under the tree. God says, no. There's always an excuse not to do what God wants you to do. And some seem to be actually fairly valid. But in God's book, they're not. He says, go tell Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh with now here at the fifth plague with the same message as it was before. Let my people go that they may serve me. By the way, that's why God took the children of Israel out of Egypt. You see, they were serving Pharaoh. Pharaoh had made them slaves. And by the way, everyone, everybody serves somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but everybody serves somebody. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were serving Pharaoh. God's desire is that they would serve him. Thus we find that they would serve me. Verse (coughs) 2. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on your horses, on your donkeys, on your camels, on your oxen, on your sheep, and there will be a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. By the way, it's interesting. Tomorrow the Lord will do this. It wasn't one of these days it's going to happen. He said, Tomorrow it's going to happen. Now, if you been following along with this very much as we've been in this book of Exodus, you're going to see that the hits just keep on coming. What what do I mean by that? Well, it it would be one plague, and then it just, days later, another plague, days later, another. This wasn't over a period of, of 10, 15 years. Very clearly, the Bible indicates that it is a rapid succession of judgments. 
Now, when you look in the Bible, and especially at the judgment of God in the last days in the book of Revelation, the judgments that come upon the world are in relatively rapid succession. You find the seal judgments, you find the the trumpet judgments, and then you find the bowl judgments, all this transpiring over a seven-year period of time. But you have at least uh, 19 events, 19 to 20 events, because sometimes the last seal would open up the bowl judgments. So uh, that wasn't actually a judgment in itself, other than it opened up another thing. But you figure you got 20, about around 20 events over a period of seven years. So that means every few months, a new crazy thing is happening on this earth. Well, that's the way it was in Egypt. Every few days, there was a new crazy judgment falling upon the land of Egypt. Now, again, remember, Pharaoh is a picture type of Satan in the Bible. Egypt is a picture type of the old lifestyle being in slavery to Pharaoh. We become born again. We come through the Red Sea, a type of baptism. We're on our way to the promised land. We find that God deals with all of us in that little bit of a wilderness experience that we have. You know, I know a lot of people when they get saved. I remember a brother in the Lord. He went on to be a pastor, but he, I remember I, I asked him, I said, well, you accepted the Lord. He goes, yes, I did. And I said, do you know what you did? And he goes, not completely. And I said, you will. And as the days progressed, as the weeks progressed, as the months progressed, that person became more and more refined in who they were. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says our relationship with God is a walk. It's not a run. It's not a jog. And I have found sometimes in the best of my abilities, even in living every day, I will fall down. I will trip on twigs, sticks. I have fallen in the dark over stuff. I think that our pinky toe can find legs of chairs when nobody else can find anything. It's a walk. And the reason why God doesn't call it a run is because we grow in our relationship with God. And I think that's really important because a lot of times when a person gets saved, they automatically think, well, I'm going to have all knowledge, everything that God has for me. First of all, if God told you what he was going to do in your life, you wouldn't believe in any way. You'd say, how could God ever do that? Well, God's good. The only thing God's called me and you to do is don't give up. Because the devil wants you to give up. If he can paralyze you, cause you to go into despondency, cause you to reject those promises of God that are there written for you, illustrated by other people who love God, if he can get you to do that, then what happens is he's won. He's paralyzed whatever it is God is going to do in your life in the lives of others because he has caused the discouragement to hurt your heart. I use this illustration many times, but I used it this week on the radio where the devil was having a yard sale. And on the table he had porn, he had drugs, he had some needles, he had some kinky weird things laying on the table all there. 
So he came by and said, why are you selling all this stuff? And what about that one thing laying up against your, your behind you there against the house? Oh, he said, oh, that's discouragement. I have found if I have this tool, I don't need any of these. It is interesting that God will take, that, that, excuse me, the devil will take more people out through discouragement than oftentimes all the, so to speak, sins that we think are so popular in the world today. Because again, when you're discouraged, when you're downtrodden, then you're not looking up at a risen king. And so he says here, there will be a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So the Lord appointed a set time saying tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did the thing on the next day. All the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel did not, not die, did not die. And the Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handful of ashes from the furnace. Soot. Okay? That's what it is, basically, from the furnaces. The soot that's left over that black, probably black gray stuff. He says, you grab handfuls of that. And he said... And let Moses scatter it towards the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become like fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils, will break out on the sores of man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. The whole land of Egypt was going to go through puberty. I know, I'm sorry about that. No, there's going to be boils on everybody. Now, this is weird because now we find that the, the punishments of God are moving from, well, in fact, it's, it, all of these are targeted at the gods of Egypt. Again, um, we remember the guardian of the Nile. Uh, the frogs came out, covered the land. Um, uh, there was the... Uh, uh, Goddess of fertility uh, that uh, that they worship. They had the which was the frog goddess. They had the goddess, uh, the cow-like mother goddess. In fact, a lot of times in Egyptian things, you'll see the cow being worshipped. Now, now think about this for a minute. The reason why this is important, uh, as you remember in the last plague, where the the cattle all died, when the children of Israel. When Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, when he came down, what were they worshiping? A golden calf. Again, this is interesting to me because the very thing that God proved that he had power over, they had forgotten and began to go back and worship the gods of Egypt. And so it says... It will become like fine dust going back to the boils and it uh, it will be in the land of Egypt. It will cause boils that will break out on sores of man and beast through all the land of Egypt. And they took the ashes from the furnace, stood before Pharaoh. Moses scattered them towards heaven and they caused boils to break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils 
that were on the magician and all and all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now we get to the seventh plague. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> the message continues to be the same. I like that about God. He continues to tell us what he wants. You know, I think a lot of times when we serve God, you know, a lot of times God may say to us, I want you to do this particular thing in your life. And we go, well, God, yes, I know that, but let me do this over here instead. God says, no, I want you to do this here. And we go, but not God, I don't want to do that. You know, it might be break up with a worldly girlfriend or a boyfriend. It might be to move someplace else. It may be to do something else. And we will offer all kinds of other things to God rather than what God has said to us. The Lord said, let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 14, for at this time I will send my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Again, going back to chapter 5, Pharaoh saying, who is the Lord that I would let his people go? Well, God says, okay, I'll show you. I, I a lot of times think it's just a lot better just to take God at his word. However, sometimes they don't. Now, if I stretch my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, Then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show you my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, in that you will not let them go. He's saying, I'm going to do these things to show you, Pharaoh, who's really boss here. For some dumb reason, you don't get it. You know, getting in an arm wrestling match with God, you're always going to lose. You know why? He's got a lot bigger arms than I do. So it's better just to say, okay, Lord, I will do that. Now, first of all, I want to point something out here. Isn't it interesting that God selected Pharaoh to show him this kind of power? You know, I, I really look at that because... I would feel kind of special if God took great interest in me to show me all these things. I would begin to say, well, wow, God, that's pretty amazing. You know, there was somebody else in the Bible like that as well. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the first real king of the organized world, the Babylonian Empire, He was the one who God showed amazing signs and wonders to as well. And yet, in all that God did, he didn't respond either till the very end when he lost his mind. For for several seasons, the Bible says, he came to his sentences, and I expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. So the very miracles that God will show one person that will cause them to repent, God will show another person and their heart will get harder. It's a weird thing about the nature of man. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause a very heavy 
hail to rain down, such has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all you have in the field, for the hail will come down on every man, every beast that is found in the field, and it is not brought home, they will die. This hailstorm is going to be so bad, if you don't get inside the building, you will die. Have you ever heard about... uh, you know, those hailstones they measure sometimes. And, and it's really weird. They, they have their graphometer, I guess. I don't know what it is about hails, but they use a, a piece of material about, about two foot by two foot. And what it looks like is foam board about, uh, a couple inches thick, covered with tin foil. People use it for insulation. And they actually lay it out. And when the hailstones come and they smack this foam board, it leaves the imprint. And they actually have an actual record since the hail melts. Uh, they actually have a record on how large the hail was. They've recorded hail as big as uh, uh, baseball, softballs. I mean, when you have rocks falling out of the sky that big around. Now, when you get into Revelation, the Bible says that the hailstones are going to be upwards above 50 pounds. Now, you think everybody's going green with their solar panels? Let me tell you, when you have rocks falling out of the sky the size of bowling balls, (laughs) solar panels, we're going to have a real energy crisis, aren't we? I thought it was interesting because I'd say, well, we need to build more solar panels. We need to build... And I'm going, well, you don't read Revelation because you guys are going to be in the dark because the hailstones that fall upon the earth are going to be of magnetismal proportion. Not only what it does to people, but what it does to everything else. So, these stones are going to come down from sky, and they're going to destroy everything, it says. Now, it says, gather everyone together, get them safe. By the way, even in God's judgment, he shows mercy. He could have just not even told them. Ah, there's going to be hail tomorrow. But he said, this is going to be so bad. You need to get your people inside. That's how bad it's going to be. It is interesting that God dealing with Pharaoh didn't want to hurt the people. I I think that's really amazing about God. That a lot of times God is always pictured as an ogre and mean and everything. God was trying to get something accomplished. He didn't want to hurt everybody else. So he said, by the way, get all your people in. Get your life, what livestock you have left here. And get them inside. Because if they're found out in the field when the hail comes, they'll not come home. And so he feared, he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, made his servants and all of his livestock flee into the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants of his livestock in the field. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the heavens, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field, throughout all the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground, and all and, and the Lord name rained hail on the land of Egypt. 
uh, tells you there was electrical storms with this hail, kind of like yesterday. <laughs> I don't know how many people saw that one coming yesterday night, but it was pretty freaky. I mean, especially when it hasn't rained here for like four and a half months. And then it just like uh, there was buckets of water being poured on everything. People were walking out in the street going, what is this? What is this? It's rain. What's rain? No, I mean, I mean, that was how bad it was. Uh, this storm came upon them. Now, these are no normal storms, friends. These are storms that I believe God arranges. God is the God of everything. You see, the Egyptians had gods for different things. They had the god of the Nile. They had the god of medicine in which the magicians, as we just read, were powerless against the boils. They couldn't even stand before anybody because of the boils that covered him. Their medicine god didn't deliver them. Well, again, now we find this falling upon them. And it says, so there was hail, verse 24. And fire mingled with hail, so it so very so heavy that there was some some in it like all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout all the whole land of Egypt, and it was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned at this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Wow, what a confession from Pharaoh. He gets it. Not really. I know a lot of people like this. They're sorry of the consequences of their sin, but not sorry enough to change. And this was the problem the Pharaoh had. Entreat the Lord, speak to the Lord on my behalf, that there be me no more mighty thunderings and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread my hands out to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, and there'll be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord. By the way, not your gods. But for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. He's saying, you know, I know what you're saying, but you're not going to change. Isn't it weird that Moses had a word from the Lord, you know, concerning him. Now, you might call this uh, divine word, word of knowledge, prophecy. Well, again, you find that he says, I'll let the people go. And Moses says he's going out. And he says, I'll, I'll stop all this to show you that God is God. But I know you're still not going to let the people go. But as again, for your servants, I know that you will not let, you will not fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck. For the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. The wheat and the spelt were not struck for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city 
from Pharaoh, spread his hand out to the Lord. The thunder and hail ceased, and the rain was not pouring down on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. Isn't it interesting? Here it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Now, again, as I've told you, God didn't harden his heart in that, I'm going to put a whammy on you, you know. No, it's that God gave the miracles, how he reacted to it was, was hardening of his heart. And, and, and to me, that's really weird, because the thing is, is that God is demonstrating to us, but actually, God just allowed him to get what he wanted. Pharaoh literally here in verse 34 says, he hardened his heart and he and his servants and the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Man, you look at this and you realize just how hard a person's heart can get. Now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh. I have hardened his heart in the hearts of his servants, that they may show these signs of mine before them. And when you, and when you, and you may tell them in the hearing of your, your son and your son's sons, your mighty things that I have done in Egypt, my signs, which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. That is the whole reason why God's doing that is to show you that he's really in control. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me and let my people go that they may serve me? Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. Now, again, like I said, the hits just keep on coming. You figure more destruction. You know, I shared this last week. God didn't need atomic bombs. He didn't need semi-automatic weapons. He just used grasshoppers. He he just used whatever was there, whether it be frogs or whatever it might be, lice, to get his point across. Well, if you refuse to let my people go, here comes the grasshoppers. Verse 5, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so no one will be able to see the earth. Well, I'll tell you, that's pretty thick grasshoppers. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains from you from the hail. They shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. And they shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, whether you, which neither your fathers nor your father's father has seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord. Now his counselors are saying, Pharaoh, you're a nutcase. Can't you see what's going on? You know, I have found people, not Pharaohs, I found people like this. They got everything going wrong in their life. They lose their job. They lose their home. They lose everything. And and the person comes and says, why don't you turn to God? And they just get their heart harder and harder and harder. They don't want to change. They came to him and said, look, this, we're going to lose this. Their God, do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? 
Pharaoh, have you taken an inventory lately to see the real condition of your country? Everything has fallen apart. We have been, our, our cattle are dead. Our, our food now is gone. He just starts, they start giving him an inventory. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. But those, uh, but, but who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, we will go, our young and old with our sons, with our daughters, with our flocks, with our herds, and we will go, we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said, the Lord um, had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware the evil that's ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord for what you desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's present. He said, no, you can just take the men. You're not taking the kids. You're not taking your wives. He had no intention of letting his slaves go. And so the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come on the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land All the hail has left. So Moses stretched his rod out over the land of Egypt and brought an east wind on the land. And in the and all that day and all that night, the wind was blowing. And in the morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. And the locusts went over the land of Egypt rested on the territory of Egypt, and they were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they nor shall ever be after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened and ate every herb of the land, all the fruit of the trees, all the hail had left, so there remained nothing green on the trees There remained nothing green, literally. You think about that. Your land just went to completely (laughs) the Mojave Desert. Just destroyed everything. And so he says, So there remained nothing green on the trees, on the plants, the field, throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once. Entreat the Lord God that he may take away uh, from me this death only. And so he went out from Pharaoh, entreated the Lord. The Lord turned a very strong west wind which took away the lowest, took them and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may be felt. Wow. Darkness so dark you feel it. You ever been in one of those caves and they turn the lights out and man, you can't see your hand in front of your face. Now, again, beaming this at the Egyptian god, Ra, the sun god. Moses stretched his hand out towards the heavens, thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. And they did not even see one another 
Nor did anyone rise from their place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. That's kind of weird. You know, you get towards the land of Goshen, the sun comes out. You go back towards the land of Egypt, it's dark. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve your go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. In other words, we don't know how big the sacrifice is going to be, so we got to take all of our livestock with us. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take heed to yourselves, and see my face no more. For in that day you see my face, you will die. And Moses said, You have spoken well, I'm not going to see your face again forever. Now, the next one is the tenth plague. We're going to save that for next week because of its dynamic change in Pharaoh and in the land of Egypt. This was the last time Pharaoh was a really a world governing empire. This devastation that Moses brought on Egypt was so severe. By the time the children of Israel left Egypt, they were never to rise again to world governance. Pretty sad. They came to world governance because of Joseph interpreting a dream that Pharaoh had and storing up grain. They became a world, super world power. And now because of the hardness of heart towards God, they never ever, ever attained to world prominence again. They had governing different places at different times, but they never ever became a world governing power again. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God this morning. I don't know how many, maybe you might be here in thinking, well, you know what? I've been playing cat and mouse with God for a long time. God's told me what he wants me to do. He told me he wants me to repent and get out of my sin. But I want to play games and maybe even offer God something else rather than me. I just want to invite you today. The Bible tells us today is the appointed day of salvation. For this reason, Christ died. You know, God did something for us we could never do in ourselves. Jesus met all the law requirements for being righteous. We could never do that in ourselves. That's why it's so foolish to try to go back into Judaism. Even as a Christian, I know many Christians that are doing that. I go, you don't get it. This is what the book of Galatians is about in the New Testament. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You began in the spirit. Are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? When we go under the law, we're working in the flesh. But what God does for us in the spirit is something supernatural. We put on his righteousness. God changes our heart. There's a desire then to do what's right, not to be in rebellion to God. That's what being a Christian is. Letting God change our heart. Not me trying to change my heart, God changing me. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why is that? It's not within us to be good. It's not within man to live righteously. 
I tried being good on my own. I couldn't do it. You look at your kids. Can't you just be good? No. It's the way it is. You say, what's wrong with you? Sin. No one had to teach your kids to lie. No one had to teach your kids how to break things. No one had to teach your kids how to, how to be deceitful. Okay, today, honey, we're going to learn how to lie. Okay, now you look at me, and I'm going to teach you how to lie. And you've got to do this with a straight... No, they can do it without your help. And we do it without anybody's help either. You see, the day... The Bible says today's the appointed day of salvation. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray right now. And after that, we'll have communion. And I just want you to realize how good it is to know God. Who is this God that I would let his people go? (laughs) Hey, aren't you glad you know that God? Aren't you glad you know the God, God of miracles in the Bible? If you need to get right with God today, maybe you've been a Christian playing on the wrong side of the fence. I want you to pray and ask the Lord to change your heart right now. Let's pray and see what God will do. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my rebellion to you. Lord, those things that I do against your heart. And so now I ask you to forgive me. I want to be your child. I want to do what you want me to do. So change my life. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins and lives for me every day as he rose from the dead. Write my name in your book of life. I never have to be scared of dying ever again. Empower me now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That I may be about your business. That I may fall more and more in love with you and the people, God, you want me to reach. And I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.